Well, good morning and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Mary Alice and I'm one of the ministers here at Calvary. And if you are new to Calvary, we are just really glad you're here. We want you to know that you are welcome here. It's so great to have a fuller sanctuary and the energy in the room this morning is so exciting. We are looking forward to a great day of worship together. You will need a worship folder as well as one of the hymnals in front of you to guide you in our worship together today. And also, if you are new, we would be honored for the opportunity to follow up with you by email or phone to get to know you better. And one way that can happen is if you would be willing to fill out a visitor card in your pew and place it in the offering plate later in the service. That is also a way that you can ask for more information about different ministries at Calvary or to let us know how we can be praying with you in the coming week. Well, today we end our worship series that has been inspired by the book Life of the Beloved by Henry Nouwen. And we end this week where we began the first week, which is at the table. Because ultimately, what Jesus does with the bread after he has taken it, blessed it, and broken it, is that he gives it. He gives it away. That's what it's for. That's why it was made in the first place. And ultimately, that's what you and I were created to do. And so may we give our all to God as we worship together in this place today.
This morning, we give ourselves to you in worship. We give you our joys. We give you our despair and heartache. And we come to this place longing to praise you and be filled with your love. Today, we will reflect on being given and what it means to give. And we know that there are moments when we refuse to give you the parts of us that you deserve and we refuse to give our fellow brothers and sisters what they deserve. We lament that we often choose what makes us comfortable rather than what you call us to do. In Christ, you provided a perfect example of the ways we should live in love, truth, and life, and we give thanks for that. May we live with the willingness to share our life and give to the utmost extent always remembering the ways that Jesus gave his life and you gave a precious son. Help us discern the ways, no matter how difficult or exceptional they might be, in which we must devote ourselves to your kingdom. Give us wisdom and compassion and guidance so that the world might be a better place after we have passed through it. We've been reminded that we are beloved, but that we are also broken. This morning, take our brokenness, Lord, remake it out of love, and let that love be freely given to this world. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
reading from the book of Ruth. Naomi started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, following the death of her husband and two sons. She had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she sent out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, 
Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. A, read, <clears throat> a reading from the Gospel according to Mark. Jesus said to them again, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers and children and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus, Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him, and after three days, he will rise again. James and John, the son of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God.
We are chosen, blessed, broken, so as to be given, wrote Henry Nowen. He furthered that thought by saying, it is only as people who are given that we can fully understand our being chosen, blessed, and broken. I am here today to share the hopes and give voice to the hearts of the members of the personnel team and members of the finance team. Our intention is to give a witness, to report to you our thoughts, to share our hopes, our dreams. As Calvary seeks to grow as a community of faith that is taken, blessed, broken, and given. Since September, a common item of conversation in our team meetings has been the subject of future ministerial staffing. 
Let me highlight briefly some of the thoughts that have continually come to the surface of those discussions. First, our present staff is doing all we ask and more, 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 and more. Also, we are concerned about burnout for our entire ministerial staff and particularly our pastor due to the demanding workload. Next, we have concluded that the best option for Calvary would be the addition of a full-time associate pastor. This was the previous ministerial staffing arrangement and the arrangement discussed with Mary Alice in the pastor search process. Furthermore, the makeup of our ministerial staff is dependent on our financial resources, and this may be the understatement of the day, and we are certainly limited in that area. Next, we want to honor the efforts of our staff and financial team as they have guided Calvary to be good stewards by living within our means in facing significant budget challenges that we have been in in the last few years. And finally, as our finance team has reminded us, a major limiting factor on our budget is the mortgage we have carried for several years. And some of you may feel like we have always had that mortgage. It has been there so long. However, recently that mortgage has been reduced below $100,000, a point that some of us had a hard time imagining that we would ever get there. And with that, the personal, personnel team along with the support of the finance team have a renewed sense of excitement. We have begun to consider, to hope, to dream that we might possibly erase that debt by the end of this calendar year. We expect the finance team and coordinating council to bring to the next spring ministry conference that's announced in your announcement sheet a challenge, a plan to remove the mortgage ASAP. And if that began to materialize, we think, we hope, we dream that we might be able to start the search process for an associate pastor sometime within this calendar year. And the sooner, the better, we believe, for all the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, the body of Christ in this place. And all these matters, all these matters are in our prayers. And it is our prayer that Calvary will continue to be transformed as a congregation by the grace of Jesus expressed in the words, taken, blessed, broken, 
and given. And when we discover the grace of giving, oh, these challenges and so much more is what Christ can do in our midst. be reading from the very end of one of Frederick Buechner's most famous sermons called The Magnificent Defeat. And then it happens. Out of the deep of the night, a stranger leaps. He hurls himself at Jacob, and they fall to the ground, their bodies lashing through the darkness. It is terrible enough not to see the attacker's face, and his strength is more terrible still, the strength of more than a man. All the night through, they struggle in silence until just before morning, when it looks as though a miracle may happen. Jacob is winning. The stranger cries out to be set free before the sun rises. Then suddenly all is reversed. He merely touches the hollow of Jacob's thigh, and in a moment Jacob is lying there crippled and helpless. The sense we have, which Jacob must have had, that the whole battle was from the beginning faded to end this way that the stranger had simply held back until now, letting Jacob exert all his strength and almost win, so that when he was defeated, he would know that he was truly defeated. So that he would know that not all the shrewdness, will, brute force that he could muster were enough to get this. Jacob will not release his grip, only now it is not a grip of violence, but of need, like the grip of a drowning man. The, the darkness is just faded enough so that for the first time he can dimly see his opponent's face. And what he sees is something more terrible than the face of death, the face of love. It is vast and strong, half ruined with suffering and fierce with joy. The face a man flees down all the darkness of his days until at last he cries out, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Not a blessing that he can have now by the strength of his cunning or the force of his will, but a blessing that he can have only as a gift. Power, success, happiness, as the world knows them, are his who will fight for them hard enough. But peace, love, joy, those are from God. And God is the enemy whom Jacob fought there by the river, of course. And whom, in one way or another, we all of us fight. God, the beloved enemy. Our enemy because before giving us everything, he demands of us everything. 
before giving us life, he demands our lives, ourselves, our wills, our treasure. Will we give them, you and I? I do not know. Only remember the last glimpse that we have of Jacob limping home against the great conflagration of the dawn. Remember Jesus of Nazareth staggering on broken feet out of the, out of the tomb toward the resurrection, bearing on his body the proud insignia of the defeat which is victory, the magnificent defeat of the human soul at the hands of God. Do not be afraid, I am with you. I have called you each by name. Come and follow me, I will bring you home. I love you and you are going to add on a few verses to our scripture reading today, starting where Harper and Wendy left off for us. And so I'm in Mark 10, starting in verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We're able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them. And their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave to all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
My grandfather's name was Herman Maggard, but to all of us grandchildren, he was Paul. And Paul owned and operated this small general store in the mountains of eastern Kentucky for over 65 years, from 1937 until he passed away in 2003. And it was called Maggard Store. Now, we were always amazed that the health department hadn't shut down Maggard Store. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily sparkling clean, especially in its later years, but you could find just about anything you needed there. And if you couldn't find it, Paul would order it for you out of a catalog. But the store's claim to fame was that Paul made the best bologna sandwiches that anyone had ever eaten, and everyone in Hazard, Kentucky knew it. In fact, anytime someone important came to Hazard, a government or city official, they always brought the person to have an ice-cold Coca-Cola and a bologna sandwich from Maggard's store. And here's the thing, looking back, I still remember those sandwiches. They really were great. But I realize that's probably not what brought people to Maggard's store. In fact, everybody passed the much larger, the much nicer grocery stores on their way to Maggard's store. Instead, they came to Maggard's store because of Paul. If someone couldn't pay for their groceries, Paul would let them charge whatever they needed until they could pay. Many never did pay him, and that was okay, too. One year, all of the coal miners in Hazard went on strike, and when they came to him asking for help, Paul gave them all the groceries they needed for as long as they would need them. Well, after some time, it got to the point that Paul had less than $100 in the bank, and he couldn't afford to buy any more groceries. But thankfully, the strike ended that week, and the coal miners were slowly able to pay him back. And for years later, the miners and their children and even their children's children continued to shop at Maggard's store because of that. My cousins and I would always work at the store over the summer. And one day, I remember being there when a man came in who had grown up in Hazard, but he had since moved to Ohio. But he'd come back to visit the place where he had grown up, and he brought with him a gift for Paul. It was a beautiful wood carving of a pair of shoes. And he said, Herman, this is in honor of all the children who came to the store barefoot, because you would always give them a pair of shoes if they didn't have any. And one of those children was me. You gave me my very first pair of shoes. And this is my small way of saying thank you. Every year, Paul would deliver these gift boxes filled with fresh fruit and candy and other gifts to people in the community. But one year, Paul was busy finishing up some work at the store on Christmas Eve, and so he asked my mom and her sister Alice to deliver the Christmas gifts for him. But at house after house, the people they visited had such a disappointed look on their face when they opened the door. And some of them even turned them away. And so finally, Mom and Alice gave up and came back to the store because they realized it wasn't the gift boxes that people really cared about. It was a visit from Paul. Well, the truth is that I could share story after story with you about Paul and all of these beautiful things that happened at Maggard's store. 
And really, I only know a fraction of those stories. In fact, after he passed away in 2003, people began to share with my mom and my grandmother about all the things that Paul had done for them, things that my family had no idea about. And that was precisely the point. Paul didn't want anyone else to know. But I can say with absolute conviction that my grandfather loved people more than any other person I've met in my entire life. And he made every person who walked into his store and into his life feel like the most special person in the world. And so when I think about what it looks like to give of oneself, to give of one's life for the sake of others, I think of Paul. So today we come to the end of our worship series inspired by Life of the Beloved by Henry Nouwen. And we end this week where we began the first week, at the table. Because ultimately what Jesus does with the bread after he has taken it, blessed it, and broken it is to give it away. That is what it is for. That is why it was made in the first place. It wasn't made to be stored or to be saved. It would grow stale and moldy, wouldn't it? It was created to be given. And ultimately, that's what you and I are created to do. But we so often miss this point, don't we? It's so easy to give in to the idea that our lives are for ourselves and to orient our lives inwardly instead of outwardly. It's easy for the church to do this too, isn't it? And that's exactly what the disciples do, as we discover in today's scripture reading. In fact, Mark 10 is actually not the first, and not even the second, but the third time that Jesus has tried to teach the disciples that a life of following him will ultimately mean giving away one's life for others. The first time the conversation comes up in Mark's gospel is in chapter 8. In verse 31, Jesus tells the disciples that he will suffer and be rejected, and even that he will be killed. But after three days, he will rise again. He is telling them very plainly exactly what is going to happen to him. But then Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him for speaking this way. He just can't imagine why Jesus would be talking like that. And Jesus goes on to say, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it, because this is what it looks like to follow in the way of Jesus. But just verses later, the disciples still don't get it. In chapter 9, verse 30, Jesus predicts his death for a second time, and the disciples actually respond by arguing with each other about who the greatest disciple is. And Jesus calls them out and says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, the servant of all. Because this is what it looks like to follow in the way of Jesus. And then in today's text, the disciples are actually on their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus tells them for a third time what is going to happen in the days to come. Yet they still don't get it. Moments later, James and John buddy up to Jesus and say, Will you give us whatever we ask of you? Because we want to sit at your right and your left. In other words, we want to be your favorites. We don't want to be the last. We want to be the first. 
But even after this third time, Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Instead, he turns their question around and he says, you don't even know what you're asking because whoever wishes to be great must be your servant and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave to all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because this is what it looks like to follow in the way of Jesus. It's a life of radically giving oneself away so that God's love might radically be known through us. Lamar Williamson Jr. says it this way in his commentary on Mark. This text offers a jolting challenge to any simplistic, self-centered understanding of discipleship because discipleship will mean more trouble, not less. Though it may be palliative in some respects, following Jesus is likely to be disruptive in others. True discipleship is characterized by a costly pouring out of one's life for another because Jesus came to serve and to give his life. And anyone who contemplates following Jesus without fear and trembling has not understood true discipleship. A preacher once shared a story about a man who had been visiting his church, and after a few Sundays, the man got annoyed and came up to the preacher and said, all you all ever talk about here is to give and give and give. And the pastor said, absolutely because I can't think of a better picture of the life of Christ than that. And if you and I are to follow in the way of Jesus, I believe our lives will be characterized by giving, perhaps more so than anything else. Giving that's risky. Giving that costs us something. Giving that continually points people to the one who gave his life for us. As history tells us that John Wesley once said, it looks something like this. Doing all the good that you can, by all the means that you can, in all the ways that you can, in all the places that you can, at all the times that you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. I've shared that before, and I share it again because I can't think of a better picture of giving than that. However... What happens when all this giving and giving and giving leads to burnout? Because if I'm being honest, Wesley's quote is powerful, but it also sounds pretty overwhelming to me. And it's true that sometimes we need to stop. We can't do it all, can we? And as much as we talk about giving in church, there's also something to be said about not giving until we are empty, until we have nothing left to give, right? Well, for my grandfather, this looked like taking a mid-afternoon nap. He ran his store for 65 years, and he took a nap every day after lunch for 65 years. He would go home around 1 o'clock every day and come back to the store later that afternoon, depending on how long of a nap he needed to take. And I believe it was one of the practices that enabled him to live an excessively generous life because he never missed his mid-afternoon nap. He also didn't work on Sundays. That was his time for worship and his time to be with family. And he loved his family dearly. 
He and his, my grandmother would often leave their responsibilities in, ha in Hazard and at the store for the weekend, and they would come to the farm in Madison County where all the family would meet, and my cousins and I would go fishing and play croquet and play bingo, and Paul always had prizes for the bingo game from Maggard's store. The neat thing is that that farm is actually where my parents live now, and so I love getting to go back there. Well, I don't know that there are any passages in Scripture about Jesus taking a nap or playing croquet, although there are lots of passages about Jesus going fishing. So. But what we do know is that Jesus would often go off to find a quiet place, to rest, to pray, to be by himself, even when he was surrounded by great need. And so on one hand, we see a model in Scripture calling us to rest and renewal, calling us to Sabbath, to take a break, even when there is more work that needs to be done, even when there's so much more that needs to be given. And yet we also have a call in Scripture to give of ourselves in an abundant and even excessive way, to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses, and to follow Jesus in a way that will cost us something. And so what do we do with both of these challenges? How do we live out both of these calls? And are they mutually exclusive? I would say no. I would say that both of these challenges are vitally important, and perhaps they're not even possible without the other. And I would add that any self-care practices that you and I follow are not intended for our own protection or self-preservation, but rather that we might give of ourselves even more abundantly than we could do otherwise. Because nowhere in Scripture does God call us to ration our lives or only to give it out in small, measured doses. Instead, the life of Jesus calls us toward lavishly, abundantly, and even ridiculously giving ourselves away. Like the widow of Zarephath who gives her last oil and flour, or the widow who gives her two mites, or the boy who gives his fishes and loaves. They don't give some and save the rest for another day. They give it all. They give all they have by all the means they have. And when you and I have the courage to do this, we will find that there is always more than enough. Because at the heart of our gospel is that our God is a God of abundance, and in Christ there is always more than enough. In the Bible, there is always more than enough food to eat. There's more wine in the jars, more water in the wilderness, more fish in the nets, more food in the baskets. Because there is strength even when we are at our weakest. There is grace even when we are at our lowest. There is hope even when we are in despair. There is light even in our darkness. And there is new life even when all the signs around us point to death. Because through Christ, there is always more than enough. My favorite author, Frederick Buechner, says it this way. By all the laws, both of logic and simple arithmetic, to give yourself away in love to another would seem to mean that you end up with less of yourself left than you had to begin with. But the miracle is that just the reverse is true. To give yourself away in love to somebody else is to become for the first time yourself fully. 
To live not just for yourself alone anymore, but for another self, is in a new way to come fully alive. And I wonder what it would look like if we were to approach our lives in the same way. What if we understood that in our giving, our God multiplies instead of divides? What if we weren't stingy with our time, with our relationships, with our talent, with our money, with our homes, and with our lives? What if instead of grasping them more tightly, we were to hold on to things a bit more loosely? What if we were to lavishly, abundantly, and ridiculously give ourselves away? For Paul, this meant that there was always extra candy to be thrown in people's brown paper grocery sacks. There were always shoes for any child who came into the store barefoot, and there was always a bologna sandwich for anyone who was hungry. But what does this look like for you and for me? And what does this look like for Calvary? Will we give of our time to things like next week showing up to help with worship in the park? or the community yard sale coming up in a few weeks? Will we invest our time at West Avenue Elementary School? Will we give of our talents to teach Sunday school classes or to lead small groups, to work with children and youth and young adults, or even to help with odd jobs around our building? Will we give of our finances to help Calvary finally cross the finish line of paying off our debt? to help to call another associate pastor and to be able to dream new dreams about where God is leading us in the days ahead. And ultimately, will we give our lives, not just to our inner circles, but to new people, to this beloved community of faith at Calvary, which is growing in beautiful and abundant ways by God's grace. Will we give by all the means we can, in all the ways we can, in all the places we can, at all the times we can, to all the people we can, as long as we ever can? I think now one would say that we can only do this when we truly come to understand our belovedness. After all, we can only give of ourselves to the extent that we believe we're worth giving away in the first place. And the reality is that on our own, we're simply not. We all fall short. Like we discovered last week, we are just that fragile clay jar. But we carry within us this treasure so that the life of Christ may be known in us and through us. And that is what we have to give time and time again. And like the oil in the widow's jar, it never runs out. And so, God, I ask that you would put on our hearts today the ways in which you are calling and inviting and challenging us to give of ourselves in new ways. To give to what you are doing in this place at Calvary. Maybe to give to our families, to give to our communities, to give in our workplaces, to give above and beyond because you are the God who went so above and beyond for us. God, if we're here today feeling weary, feeling as if we don't know that we have much more to give, I do pray for rest. I pray for spaces that will continue to feed us and to fill our wells. 
so that we might give of the overflow of what you are doing in us. Because you are the God who gave your all for us. And today we want to surrender our all to you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, as we have said, we are called to give only because of Jesus, because he gave his life for us. And if you would like to talk with someone about what it means to follow in the way of Jesus, we would love nothing more than to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary today. Or maybe you are feeling led to become part of our beloved community here at Calvary, where we seek to know and to follow Christ together in this place. We would love to welcome you into our family. However God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary, ready to visit with you and to pray with you as we continue in worship.
God, you are creator, maker of the heavens and the earth and all that they contain. You have created beauty and truth and goodness, a world that is bustling with all of these things, the insignia of your love. You have engraved these on us, your beloved. Creator God, you are creating still, and you invite us to create as well, to discover and make beauty, to discover and proffer truth, to discover and participate in what is good. God, you are sustainer, the one who provides us with all we could need, and usually even more, we defile it, we overconsume. We scorch this good earth with our want for more, and yet you continue to sustain. And even so, you invite us to participate in that enterprise. Sustainer God, sustaining still, remind us to join you in the good work of sustaining. And God, thankfully, Mercifully, you are Redeemer, the one who takes what we have broken and rescues it, salvages, flips the script. We continue to break, you to redeem. And yet you have engraved on us also this bent toward redemption. Redeemer God, redeeming still, redeem our misguidedness and misreckoning and malfeasance, even as you invite us to take, work, to take part in the good work of redemption. Creator, sustainer, and redeemer, you give, and you give, and you give. And just as you have made us to create and to sustain and to redeem, you make us also to give. We do so joyfully, knowing that our doing so bears some mark of your love, our belovedness, Take these offerings, bless them for your purposes on this earth, and keep us ever mindful that where there is need, you have invited us to participate in your good work of creating, sustaining, and redeeming. Amen.
This is Ainsley Singletary, and she comes today for baptism and to become a member of our Calvary community. Ainsley is a sixth grader at Tennyson. She enjoys spending time with her family, and she also enjoys cheer. It is a huge part of her life. She is a sister, a friend, a daughter, and she is so excited to be baptized. We are so excited to walk alongside you in this, Ainsley. And Calvary, we have some words to share with her today. In response to your decision, we pledge ourselves to be the family of God for you in this place. We offer you our love, our care, our kinship, and our hopes. We hope to learn from you, give to you, and receive from you by God's grace. I'm going to ask Ainsley and her family to be in the Welcome Center so that you all may greet her and celebrate with her. Ainsley, we are so excited for you, and I know that so many in this congregation remember when you were born and have been such a big part of your journey. And so we are excited to continue that journey with you. I wanted to extend a thank you to Allie Chapel DeHay and Katie Cruz. Allie painted the beautiful canvases that have led us in worship over the past several weeks. And Katie has added the calligraphy each week. And those have been such a gift to us. Thank you all. I hope you saw in your worship folders today the nomination forms for leadership and deacon positions at Calvary. We hope you will take time to fill those out. That's a really important way that we can all work together to help call our next leaders for the coming year. And so we'll, we hope you'll take a moment to do that and to turn them in by April 1st. It is hard to believe that we are almost to Holy Week, but next week is Palm Sunday, which means that we will have worship in the park across the street at Seeley Park. We'll worship at 10.45 a.m., but we will not have Sunday school next week. Um, because of that, it allows us more time to help set up because there's lots of logistics. And so if you're interested in hiding eggs for the egg hunt, setting up tables, chairs, helping to prepare food, there are lots of ways that you can be involved, and we hope that, that you'll come early and be part of that with us. And I also just want to encourage all of us to sit in new places, to not sit all Calvary in one clump. Uh, but to get to know new people and let's scatter ourselves out across the park. We are just looking forward to a great day of worship together with our friends at Greater New Light and are working with them on planning every part of the day together. So looking forward to that. And then because we won't have an announcement sheet next week, I need to remind you that Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday services are the following week at 7 p.m. And then we'd love to encourage everyone to bring fresh flowers for Easter Sunday. That is one of our traditions at Calvary, and we put fresh flowers in the cross as we come into church, and that's a beautiful part of our worship together. So lots to look forward to in the coming weeks. Would you stand and join me in this benediction? Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with you always. Amen.
Go in peace. Amen.